This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, is a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family. To find out what we're all about, subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB Public Media app. Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. Today, we have folks from the Poison Control on with us, and they're going to be talking about what to do if you encounter a situation um, where you think you may need the poison control, uh, because it is summertime and kids are home from school, and so they're going to be a little bit more adventurous, and with summertime, there's lots of Lots of situations that you could be put in being outside, celebrating the 4th of July. We were just talking about that, where your kids may be exposed to certain things um, and ingest certain things that they probably shouldn't. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to we can get into like snake bites and we're going to talk some about preventative measures, too, with them. So good morning. Thank you all for coming on today. Good morning. Um, I'm going to just let them introduce themselves and tell a little bit about what they do and their role with the poison control. We've got three different people with us today. We've got Jenna Davis, Dana Massey, and then Dr. Marlin has called in on the line. So if y'all wouldn't mind just telling a little bit about um, who you are and what your role is at the poison control and just a kind of brief statement about what you do at poison control. Um, my name is Jenna Davis, and I'm the managing director at the Poison Control at a Mississippi Poison Control Center. And so I handle the day-to-day operations, and we have a group of pharmacists and registered nurses um, there that I help, um, you know, assist with. And I'm a former emergency room nurse and family nurse practitioner as well, so I have that background that I, I brought into to my current role. I'm Brett Marlin. I'm the uh, medical director of the Mississippi Poison Center. Um, I am uh, an emergency medicine physician, University of Mississippi Medical Center, uh, medical toxicologist, and addiction specialist. Um, I'm Dana Massey. I am the educator and the community outsource reach coordinator. Um, I'm also the one that sets up the booths and go and meet the community and kind of spread our messages out there, what we're about, what we can help with. Gotcha. Well, thank you all all so much for being on today. I know it's... uh, I think this has become a yearly tradition for y'all to come every summer, and it's been fun. I love having y'all on because it's always a good topic because at some point, if you haven't ever had to call poison control, you probably will. If it's not for your kid, maybe your grandchild, um, for somebody, you'll probably end up having to call them. So we're going to talk today about what to do um, if you encounter one of those situations. So first off, throw out the number, if you don't mind. What's the telephone number? For the poison control, because I feel like that is one that everybody should have memorized. It's 1-800-222-1222. 
So it's pretty not that terrible, uh, not that hard to memorize. I can't talk today. Um, and I know, like when I used to babysit, because I, I babysat all the time when I was growing up. That was one thing that people had out. That was like a number that they had, like a little magnet or something that they would keep on their on their door or refrigerator door. Which I'm sure y'all probably give those out. Yes, we still do, and we just updated our website to where you can actually go on there and order that now. So oh, okay. if you want to, you can go to the website. It's umc.edu forward slash poison control okay yeah i just remember those i like as several of the houses i babysit for would have those on the refrigerator door and they would be free yes well thankfully i never had to use the phone number but and i mean <laughs> at least having it there always i'm sure made the families feel better so if you ever did so tell us a little bit about what is a typical typical call um i know jenna you said you have some information about like what kind of calls y'all typically get um mostly ingestions i would assume um but just tell us a little bit about that sure yeah um we most of our calls are ingestions so that's something if you were to eat it um we also take calls like if you got something on your skin you inhaled it or breathed it in um even eye stuff splashes in your eye um things like that so we take a bunch of different calls but the majority is um things that you eat so things that you ingest um and and the large majority of those are um uh medications like prescription medications are are the most uh common call that we get and the most common age group that we get calls about is of course our young kids so our one-year-olds two-year-olds and three-year-old uh kiddos you know they're very um inquisitive and and curious and and want to um they see mom over there with their pill planner and then they want to see what the, what that is or maybe it's a gummy vitamin or something that tastes good to them um so that that's our number one age group and in that age group so kids under six our most common call and actually across the board our most common call is actually melatonin <laughs> um because it tastes good and the kids yeah. are used to eating it at night um and it's relatively safe, um, but it tastes good. And there's gummies, and so they'll go in there, and the boxes or the bottles, um, a lot of them are just pop open. You don't have to, there's no safety proof to them, so they just pop them open and eat a handful. Um, so it's actually our number one call overall um, is melatonin. So I think we'd rather have a melatonin call over some of our more harmful medications mm-hmm. and things for sure. That's interesting, melatonin. I mean, that doesn't surprise me now that you say that, but uh, that's not one that I would have ever thought would be. So one thing I think we talked about before um, before y'all came on is with the new medical marijuana that's available, um, that edibles are now becoming a little bit more readily available. So Dr. Marlin, if you wouldn't mind, tell us a, a little bit about the potential harms if your child were to get into that, if you had that at your house. Yeah, so the predominant effects of cannabis um, edibles, uh, especially in kids, is alternal status, so CNS depression. They get really sleepy, lethargic, somnolent. Um, And then in the more severe cases, it has been shown that it can cause, like, decreased decreased voluntary breathing, so they don't breathe as much as they should, Um, almost like an opioid, but not to quite that extent. Um, so there have been, you know, we have had pediatric patients that we've had to intubate to protect their airway. Um, and then in, in rare cases, it can cause hypertension and seizures. So that's, that's quite rare. Mm. Have y'all had any calls about that lately? We have um, 
on edibles in general, but most of the calls that we're getting are on these Delta 8 THC products. So so not related to the dispensaries and mm. the legalization of the medical cannabis. It's more, and that's what we're seeing right now. Now that could change, obviously, as more dispensaries open and things like that. But a lot of parents and and from our experience and talking to them is they think that they're relatively safe because these Delta 8 products are bought at a gas station. But it's very similar to the other type of marijuana. um, CBD. Mm-hmm. So they're going in the gas stations and getting them and thinking they're a little bit safer. So maybe they're not being as cautious as they should. Whereas if they bought, you know, some edibles from if they had a um, a certification card um, through our new through through the um, Department of Health process now with uh, medical marijuana and they went to a dispensary and they know, you know, they may keep those a little bit more safe. And those packaging is a little different. But um, the ones that they're buying over the counter, they look like candy. Mm -hmm. Um, They have names that that mimic candy names and they may only have a little small marijuana leaf or something or maybe it just says THC now a little kid doesn't know that they think it's candy um so most of the calls that we're getting it is dramatically risen over the past several years are on delta 8 on the edibles and just being left out at the home and the kid eating them um and stuff like that now and I will say um I think it's a good time to bring it up but the poison control center we um do not report anything to anybody it Mm -hmm. is confidential everything that's called into us we do keep a database because we run reports on those um for surveillance and monitoring and stuff like that but we don't report anything so i know a lot of these parents are are concerned or maybe more leery to call us if their child ate that um but we are just here to help and um you know so always don't let that deter you from calling us yeah that's a really good point so thanks for making that this is southern remedy kids and teens and mpb think right Radio. We have Dr. Brett Marlin, Jenna Davis, and Dana Massey on with us today, and they work at the Poison Control. And so before the break, we were talking about some ingestions, and in particular, I know one of the things that we've talked about, um, just like like in the clinic, we've talked about this but as an internal medicine doctor, um, we're having a lot of our adult patients who are getting on uh, medical marijuana, and we worry about that. Also, as a pediatrician, since I do both, uh, for our kids, and y'all had mentioned that y'all had seen that. So we kind of were talking a little bit about that before the break, um, and we're going to continue talking about ingestions. Um, so y'all, you were mentioning a lot of these that people can just get over the counter at gas stations, which is kind of terrifying. <laughs> I didn't realize that they actually had THC products over the counter. Um, I knew there were some, like, similar things but i didn't know it actually could have thc and you still could buy it at a gas station so that's a little crazy what about um alcohol do y'all have a lot of calls for that because i feel like i mean on our peds questions we always get that like that the kid got into alcohol and what do you need to do about that and i think about that as i'm you know the fourth of july is coming up and people are going to be outside on the beach at the lake at the pool probably and probably going to be partaking in some adult beverages which is fine but um do y'all get a lot of calls about that and what should you do when should you be concerned um if your child were to you know get into that yeah we um we do get a a, a fair amount of calls about alcohol not particularly particularly the adults um usually if we get adult calls on alcohol it's usually um 
uh, multi, there's other substances involved, not just alcohol. Generally, the adults know what to do. And, and in hospitals, they kind of know how to treat um, the adults when, when they're, you know, being exposed to a lot of alcohol. But yes, so the kids, they definitely, you know, we get a good amount of calls on kids picking up parents drinks especially now if it's beer um something that's uh, obviously not as good tasting they usually don't drink a whole lot but oftentimes our call callers don't know they'll they'll say i found them with it or it's all over their shirt we're not sure how much they drank mm-hmm. um that's a common thing and so we kind of have to um take each situation into um consideration and, and kind of analyze it and see what we need to do from there and give them what to watch out for um, but then the other things are, you know, your your fruity drinks and things mm-hmm. like that. They'll actually drink a, a larger amount of that. Um, and then other things that you wouldn't even think that has ethanol or alcohol in it, um, some hand sanitizers mm-hmm. and things like that that the kids will drink. Yeah. Or, like, yeah, mouthwash, too. Mm-hmm. I always think about that because I've, I've always heard that, too. So, um, okay, well, let's talk some more about ingestions because we had mentioned before the break um, – you had said melatonin in the younger ages, but can you tell us a little bit about like what is a common cause for older kids too uh, for ingestions? And even in the younger ages too, melatonin is by far the number one, um, just because it's easily accessible. The kids are used to it; that they're not childproof, um, so they're easier to get into. Um, but some of the other things with kids under six are your common cold things, and usually that's calls like. Um, Mom um, accidentally gave a double dose of their Zyrtec mm-hmm. or Benadryl, or maybe they use, we get lots of calls with, I gave my kid um, this one product and maybe it had Tylenol and um, Zyrtec in her Benadryl, and then you, you give another one, and, and you're kind of double dosing by not checking the ingredients, and that's a very common call as well um, with the under six, and then... Um, with like our six to twelve year old children, the most common call that we get on um, on basically overall is um, ADHD medications. So that is hands down the largest amount of calls we get in those age groups because usually they're not really diagnosing those kids before six. Um, so it's usually, I mean, sometimes they do, you know, but um, a little bit later. And so they're starting them on these medicines, um, maybe getting used to leaving them around the home or maybe setting them down. And a little kid grabs them and, and brother or sister eats them. Um, so we get a lot of calls on those too in that uh, six to 12 age group. And then the older kids, are there anything in particular that, like, our teenagers are getting into that we need to... Well, on, I get, the, yeah, on the hospital side, I mean, it's almost the largest proportion is going to be intentional acetaminophen. Yeah. I mean, that is Tylenol. is by far, I mean, it's just super common, easily accessible. Uh, I mean, they sell it in, you know, uh, economy size, you know, bottles at Costco. So that is by far, on the hospital side of things, by far the most common exposure in, in adolescence. Yeah, that makes sense. I can totally see that. Mm-hmm. I guess the importance of, of the reason I want to talk about why what medicines are common is because to make parents a little bit more mindful of what medications they're leaving out because there are certain medicines that are going to be a little bit more enticing to kids than others are, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, like right. you said, the melatonin, it tastes good. They're used to taking it, so they don't really see any difference. And so just to kind of, like, I would have never expected melatonin to be the number one. So it's just kind of interesting, and I think it's important for parents and grandparents to be more mindful of, like, what medications they have sitting out because 
kids can be enticed by different things. So, and a lot looks like candy. Yes. And I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that's common, commonly done is, you know, these most medications come in something that is child resistant. When we talk about child resistant, that term actually has a has a definition, and it's basically, you know, it takes about 80 percent of kids more than 10 minutes get into. Well, you know, through deductive reasoning, that tells you that 20% of kids get into it much quicker than that. Um, and some can figure out the, the tamper-proof um, tops pretty quickly. So that's one thing is you want to keep it out of reach. Not only, you know, that pill bottle is only somewhat safe. It is not child-proof. It is child-resistant. And then on, um, along the same line, your daily planners, the weekly planners that you see, a lot of... Uh, a lot of our elderly individuals use to kind of help uh, organize their their pills. If people are on a lot of medications, they use them to organize their pills. There is no safety function to, to mm-hmm. most of those. Um, and so, if those are in reach of a child, um, they're gonna, you know, they they can easily be consumed. And that's the thing. You know, we talk about two main types of ingestions. We have pediatric exploratory, where they don't really know, and that can be even something as silly as a tube of toothpaste. And they'll put anyone with children knows that. They'll, they'll eat about anything uh, at least <laughs> once. Um, and then, you know, when you get into adolescence, they tend to, they have a, you know, better formed, but not fully formed prefrontal cortex. So, you know, they've figured out more of the world and tend not to just put things in their mouth. Um, so at that point, it's really more recreational exposures um, and intentional self-harm exposures in, in that age range. So there's a pretty big split once you get to the age where you should know better than to put inedible or, you know, dangerous things in your mouth. It becomes intentional. That's right. And Dr. Marlin mentioned for our teens um, how common Tylenol is um, in the hospital setting, and he said that was intentionally done. So self-harm attempts by Tylenol are very common um, in those that age, you know, those teenagers. Um, and then, you know, right in front of Tylenol is depression medications or um, things for depression for our teens. We know how risky it is within those first couple weeks of starting a new medication, Um like a depression medication and, and how important, you know, follow-up is and, and things like that. And so that's the number one thing they're getting into, um, the teenagers or depression medications. And likely, and most of the time they're theirs, they're, you know, either recently started on them or they've been on them and, and still having some some self-harm thoughts. So let's think of some common medicines that we just have laying in our counter or in our cabinets um, and some medicines that you could potentially be concerned about. So we mentioned Tylenol is definitely one. Um, What are some other common medications that you would want to, if you found out your child got into it, that you would want to make sure you called the poison control for? If y'all can think of any off the top of your head. Aspirin. Aspirin, yeah. Ibuprofen. Benadryl. Benadryl is really common, especially, you know, we're talking... We were talking about teens, you know, they had that Benadryl TikTok challenge. So, um, oh, I haven't heard of this one. Yeah. <laughs> so lots of TikTok challenges out there that have kept the poison centers busy with different things. So um, Benadryl is pretty common with the teens, too. Yeah, really anti- any anti-allergy kind of medication. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but what is the challenge that we do with Benadryls? <laughs> like, y- y'all y'all told us about the challenge, but what is the challenge? They take enough of it to try to get high off of it, but... It doesn't necessarily work that way. I thought it just put you to sleep if you took too yeah, much of it. No. I've heard of doing... Um, like when it I just was, made you sleepy. Yeah. When I was in college, one of the things people would do, I just remember this, was like take 
medicines to make you sleep, like Ambien and stuff, and then trying to stay see who could stay awake the longest. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was something like that. So it actually know. makes you in enough amount, and uh, it kind of makes you see things that are not there oh, and yeah. stuff like that. So I think, but it's yeah. uh yeah, but it is a very dysphoric high. It's not. Uh, I mean, it's delirium, so it's not a not very pleasant. Yeah, I mean, I'd say almost every single kid I've ever seen that's recreationally taken. Uh, diphenhydramine has not had a good time and is is very sorry afterwards that they did it and the, you know it's it's a one and done kind of kind of thing. No, mm-hmm. makes sense. So they have sometimes you know those teens sometimes they'll have to try things one time and to learn the lesson. Yeah, <laughs> so, but I yeah. think it's important for people to know it's also very dangerous because diphenhydramine and the first generation antihistamines like doxylamine and some others that are in cough and cold medications uh, they're all cardiotoxic mm-hmm. so they can cause um, bad heart rhythms and death if you take enough of it. So that's the biggest concern we have with it. Yeah. Well, we have a caller, so we will go to Craig in Biloxi. Good morning, Craig. What's going on? Hey, good morning. I was just wondering if there are any products or devices uh, with or without a prescription that you should keep on hand. And when you transport someone, should they be hot or cold or sitting up or laying down or, or whatever? I don't know, yeah. Dr. Marlin, if you have any tips on that. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so we typically, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Just they need to be, you know, if, it's a, if it is something that's, first, we always want you to call the poison center and we'll help, you know, walk you through risk stratification, basically determining how bad of an exposure it is. If it is deemed to be something that needs to be seen by a healthcare provider, the most important thing is getting, the, getting them to us in a, a safe and expedient manner. Um, so, you know, calling the ambulance, and if you don't, that's going to be a, a you know, prolonged uh, thing, transporting them yourself. It doesn't, you know, uh, cooling them, heating them, none of those things really, met, they don't make a difference. Um, and so just getting them to us in a, in a safe and expedient manner is the, the most important thing. Okay, so if, so if you can, you can call, call an ambulance, uh, you know, if, if not, you know, Right. And are there any devices or products that we should that we can keep on hand? I don't. I can't think of anything. No, unfortunately not. I think. I mean, I think in today's currently with the the opioid epidemic, um, you know, we're starting to see it. We were kind of spared uh, for years because we had primarily a, a supply of of prescription pills, and then when that kind of got when the supply decreased after CDC uh, amended their recommendations. Um, we've started to see more and more fentanyl and we've started to see more and more um, IV drug use. So I, I think it's a good idea to have naloxone around. You can get intranasal or the auto injectors. I think that's just a good idea to have around, period. That is an effective antidote um, that saves lives. Um, and beyond that, uh, honestly, like there's not much anymore. Used to, used to a long time ago, they'd recommend Serpidipacac, which mm-hmm. causes just severe vomiting, violent vomiting. Um, and we don't recommend that anymore. Just it's not effective. And it causes more harm than benefit. Is that prescription that uh, Narcan or whatever that is you said? Narcan, yeah, it is a prescription, and most docs should be pretty willing to, to write you one, um, even if it doesn't involve, you know, you know, just having one with you as a, as a citizen in society. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be just because 
your own opioids. It can be just to have one around because you might know someone that's using opioids. Certain states, okay. and I'm not okay. sure, Jenna, you might know, some places have a standing order at pharmacies. I don't think Mississippi has one. That could be wrong. Not that I know of, but I know that if your own um, opioids for chronic pain and if you're on a certain morphine equivalent, you're supposed to, as physicians, we're supposed to prescribe um, Narcan to patients as well so that they can have both in case they were to accidentally overdose. I can't remember exactly what it is. Our pharmacists usually help us with that. Um, but we do give out those prescriptions a pretty good bit for our chronic pain patients. And one thing, too, is maybe you live in a rural area of Mississippi and you're concerned about how long it's going to take um, an ambulance to get there. Most first responders, including police officers, do carry at least the intranasal Narcan on them. So um, there's lots of programs out there to teach first responders on how to use it um, just because the opioid epidemic is so bad. And, and like Dr. Marlin says, I mean, we're seeing fentanyl. Um, coming from Mexico that's being in these counterfeit pills and they're, you know, none of that dosing equals each other. You know, one person could take one pill from the same batch and be fine. And then while they're, you know, their friend is taking one and then could stop breathing. Mm. Um, so there's really no way to regulate any of that stuff. And it's so bad now that the DEA is saying that out of, um, in 2022, they tested a bunch of counterfeit um, pills that were seized out of that uh, out of Mexico that's being um, sent over to, to the U.S. And six out of ten of those pills have actually contained lethal amounts of fentanyl for most adults and kids. So scary. I will also add, we don't ever recommend to make anybody throw up anymore. I know he mentioned Epicat, but we don't also induce vomiting anymore. So well, that's good to know. Well, thank you, Craig. We were going to move into another hot topic that everybody likes to talk about, especially here in the summertime, and that's snake bites. Um, but if you have any questions or comments, send us an email to kids at mpbonline.org. Uh, we have another caller on the line, and it is Miley. Good morning, Miley. What's going on? I just wanted to add uh, a little bit about the Narcan. I don't know if y'all mentioned it already. But through the Mississippi State Department of Health, you can order Narcan for your home, your business, uh, carry in your car, and it's also free. Hmm. The, the website is www.healthyms.com, and just type in Narcan in the search. And the only thing you have to have, of course, is your address, name, and um also, your driver's license number, and you will get uh, two, all the instructions, everything. I have some in my car right now. Huh. Well, that's really interesting. I didn't know you could do that. So thank you for calling yeah. and sharing that with us. Will you repeat the website sure. for um, some other listeners one more time? Yes. www.healthyms.com. Or they can even type, type in Mississippi State Department of Health. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Millie, for calling yes. and sharing that. We appreciate it because I sure. didn't. I was not aware of that. So thank you. And yes. Thank you, Millie. And I would add too. I so to correct my earlier statement, there is a standing order in the state of Mississippi through the Board of Pharmacy that was authorized last year. So you do not need a prescription for hmm. naloxone um, as long as that pharmacy has gone through. Uh, their steps, they can dispense naloxone uh, to anyone without a prescription. Awesome. Well, thank you all for sharing that with us because I was not aware of that. So we appreciate you sharing that with us. So before we move into snake bites, we wanted to, um, 
Jenna has some preventative tips to hopefully help, you know, prevent you from getting into a situation to having to call poison control. But again, it may happen and that's okay. And like Jenna said, um, you will not be reported if you call the poison control. So that is something to know. So please always do uh, because you never know. I mean, when you need to be concerned and the poison control is always there to help. So if you wouldn't mind giving those, sharing those tips with us and just sharing the phone number one more time. Sure. And I'll share that phone number a couple of times. It's 1-800-222-1222. And that number is just a national number. But if you're calling from Mississippi or from a Mississippi area code, you're going to get one of um, one of us here at the, the Mississippi Poison Control Center. So it's routed. So if you do go out of state, you may get another state or you may be directed back to us but we all work internally and can transfer you to wherever you need to be transferred to for your um, local area and the other nice thing i'll say this is y'all are free so my last year my dog um was 14 and was a old geriatrics dog and took too much of his uh gabapentin and trazodone uh some we didn't know he'd already had it and somebody else gave it to him anyway long story short i panicked because i didn't know what to do and i was like i wish there was a poison control for dogs and i googled and there is a poison control for dogs but you have to pay for it mm-hmm. which is fine i did i paid the little fee or whatever and i made sure just for my peace of mind for my old geriatrics dog but y'all are free yeah so that is one thing to know too i don't know if that would be ever anything people were concerned about because um you know y'all are free it's an easy toll-free number to call so and we do get calls about everything. I know we've been talking about ingestions, but we're going to lead into snake bites. But we really get calls about anything. And we always tell folks, you know, if you have questions about, can I take this medication with that medication, we can help you out pretty quickly. Um, or I took a double dose of my medications. What do I need to do about that? Or I'm having this symptom. Could it be related to this medication? So we really just pick up the phone 24-7. And, and one of us, you know, we have trained, like a, like I mentioned before, registered nurses and pharmacists. And then uh, Dr. Marlin's our medical director that oversees all of us as well so um really we get all kinds of questions yeah that's good to know well give us some of your tips and then we'll talk some about snake bites sure um a lot of this is geared towards younger kids right so you want to make sure you have all your um, cabinets locked um cleaning supplies stuff like that make sure that those are out of reach um as far as garage chemicals and stuff like that, those are those can actually be pretty harmful. There are some things in your garage and shed, pesticides, antifreeze, things like that, that could be very problematic if anybody got a hold of those. So making sure that those are up, out of reach, and definitely not in unlabeled bottles. Um, we get lots of calls about um, maybe they put their pesticide um, in and just a plain bottle and someone comes behind it and, and doesn't realize that's what it is and they maybe take a big sip. Well, that's going to potentially depending on what it is be pretty problematic so always keep things labeled and in their original containers up and out of reach um and then you know child proof tops we talked about that they're resistant so not completely child proof and so understanding that and keeping those um high up in a way um so that they can't reach those and making sure that the tops are actually um screwed on i know myself if i'm in a rush i maybe got it some ibuprofen and, and didn't screw that bottle all the way on so um and then we talked about having the number magnet and dana mentioned earlier our website you can order magnets um with a poison center number putting those on the fridge so if you have grandparents or um, anyone any other caregivers babysitters watching your children that they have that number available to easily call us Um, and button batteries too we get lots Mm -hmm. of calls on button batteries um 
So just being aware of, of things where those actually are. So watches, even the um, little books that play music can have them. Um, lots of little toys. Those can actually be pretty pretty bad if a kid in, um, eats one of those and it gets stuck in their esophagus. Also try to think of, like, if you have a climbing child that even above the refrigerator, it may not always be safe. So think about locked cabinets. They do actually sell medication boxes that you can lock. So that way you can lock them when kids are around and it still be easily accessible for you, but locked for safety for the kid. And that would also be for the garage too, a locked cabinet for any of the pesticides, chemicals in the garage. Yeah. And that would be useful for our teens that we talked about um, that intentionally go in and find medications maybe um, and to have something, have those medications hidden completely. So there, there's no way, chance that they can um, misuse those. Yeah. So it is summertime and everybody is outside and including the snakes. <laughs> um, I've actually had known two people in the past like few months that have found a snake in their house too so i guess they're they're trying to beat the heat too <laughs> because they um i had just i've never really had people have snakes in their house and then i've had two friends that have found snakes in their house in the past mm. like three months <laughs> both of them were both easy like little um king snakes or garden snakes whatever but still like the possibility is there so dr marlin if you wouldn't mind telling us about like when should you be concerned about a snake bite and what are some just basic care if you do get bit by a snake what you should do yeah so i mean that's a tough question because in my personal opinion unless you're a herpetologist um and you know for a fact the snake was not venomous uh, you should probably always be concerned about a snake bite um if you are sure the snake is not venomous uh, it's it's not a problem. Um, I mean, at, at worst, you can get you know a soft tissue infection, but that's relatively rare. Um, if you are bitten by a venomous snake, uh, we have several types. But just to keep it simple, um, we have rattlesnakes, moccasins, copperheads, and then we do have coral snakes. Which, ironically, we had a coral snake bite um, last week. Uh, if you're bitten. You should keep uh, keep the extremity because it's normally an extremity uh, in a neutral position. So don't move it, immobilize it, keep it level with the heart, uh, and seek medical care. Uh, we do not recommend trying to suck out the poison. You can't do it. Um, it's not going to help. You're just going to end up cutting yourself. Um, we don't recommend lymphatic bandages or tourniquets. Um, they end up doing more harm than good because you're kind of trapping. Our, our snakes are primarily... Uh, they damage the tissue, and so if you lock that venom in with a tourniquet, you're just doing more destruction to the tissue um, and then seeking medical care. So are there any – so if, should you – I guess the other question that we always get is – I mean, are, when I would rotate through the ER, people would come in with the snake <laughs> or a picture of the snake. Would you recommend doing that? I mean, obviously, if you're in harm's way, we want you to move and, you know, go to safety first and foremost. But is that something that could be helpful for people if they did get bit by a snake and they were to come to the ER? Um, do you think they need to bring a picture of the snake or bring the snake itself? Is that necessary? Definitely do not bring the snake. <laughs> it's a good yeah. ta- uh, It's always a good conversation amongst the uh, ER personnel when we, when we get the snake. The people do. They do, yeah. I mean, it happened time. like a couple weeks ago, too, in one of the ERs in Mississippi. Um, the picture does help, but it's pretty obvious within the first several hours, okay. um, within the first six hours, if it's a venomous snake. Now, the picture does help, and, and all of us at the Poison Control Center and 
and all the toxicologists and, and like you said, um, some of the snake experts and ER personnel are trained in identifying those snakes. Um, but it's pretty obvious. It's an, it would be helpful, but it's not necessary, especially if you're going to risk getting bit a second time. Because if you're having symptoms, you're going to be. Yeah, if you're having anyway. symptoms, the swelling, all the things, I mean, um, it, they'll all pretty much get treated similarly. Good. Well, we have a caller on the line, so we will go to John. Good morning, John. What's going on? Um, I just figured it would be uh, possibly beneficial for some people. We keep MSDS sheets. Um, I keep a notebook. So I have a large garage. We have a lot of various chemicals, and uh, I've grown up in the trucking industry and uh, construction. And one of the things that I grew up around with OSHA requirements is having MSDS sheets. Well, they're free online. So you can look up any manufacturer, any chemical, uh, any compound. You can look it up, download the safety data sheet. I just print them up and keep them in the notebook. Uh, it's, it's beneficial. We have a lot of grandkids, and I like to know, you know, most of our stuff we keep locked up. But just in case, it's really good to have that information. Plus, two of my kids are nurses, so they kind of insist on it. So, <laughs> yes, John, that is awesome. But, we always like finding those MSDS sheets. Um, so what he's talking about is getting those safety data sheets on, on specific chemicals. So each product has its own, and it lists the percentages of each of the ingredients that are in the product. Um, and also, we'll have some some first aid and safety, some basic safety information on there. But for us, we like to know the pH and the exact um, percentages these um, and the different ingredients. So yes, very helpful. Well, just a, one one thing that it saved a couple of years ago. One of my brothers was going to, you know, when it was really hard to come by hand sanitizer, he decided he was going to make his own, and he went to the hardware store and bought a gallon jug of denatured alcohol. And I told him, you need to look at the MSDS on that because I don't know what that denatured alcohol is made out of. And it's a good thing he did because it was, uh, I don't know what the, what it was derived from, but it was something that you're not supposed to normally put on your hands. Uh, certainly you don't want to inhale or ingest in any way, shape, or form uh, because it can be very toxic to your body. So after buying the gallon of it, he decided to mix the idea uh, you know, it's you're supposed to use actual safety gloves before you use, uh, I don't know what type of denatured alcohol or what it was derived from, but it was it was a type that was not supposed to be put on our skin. So, yeah, you never know, and it, it's good information to have. It is, and, and some, you know, having that available is, is huge, and I know a lot of these uh, words and ingredients are hard for folks to pronounce, so um, it's easy if they could, you know, spell it out for us sometimes, and um, also it saves, you know, we, we look those up routinely on all of our um, chemical products and things like that where we need to know exactly what percentage, so yeah, that's great. Thank you for bringing that up. Yep. Yeah. Thank you, John, okay. for sharing that with us. Thanks. I honestly didn't even know what MSDS stood for when that popped up on the screen. So I'm glad he called and shared with that because that makes total sense. I didn't know that that was like something that could be readily available. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's awesome. Thanks for calling and sharing that. And we will go to our next caller, Mark. Good morning, Mark. What's going on this morning? Uh, Not a whole lot. I was just commenting on um, y'all was talking about the, the THC gummies. Um, in the gas stations, um, and 
you know, what, whatever you feel about that. But what's more dangerous to me than that is the fact I drive for a living. I do delivery. And what I'm seeing now in these gas stations, some of them are selling magic mushrooms in the same kind of packaging as the, the THC gummies. And the thing about that is those are not – what they're selling is not like psilocybin mushrooms, which are highly illegal. I don't know about the legality of the fly garrick mushroom, which is what's in those packages. Um, but the, it's, it's Amanita muscaria, or however you say it. Um, but those two – they have a, a, a hallucinogenic effect. I think it's ibotenic acid, but it has to be cooked before you in, you ingest it because they're poisonous um, until they've been cooked. After they've been cooked, the, the precursor chemical turns to the active psychoactive ingredient that is relatively safe to ingest. But the thing about it is, is like there's no instructions that I saw on these packages for how to take it, and there's no there's no like dosing instructions or, or anything like that, and those are those are highly poisonous. So that's just my concern is like they're selling stuff that's, that's for ingestion that's highly poisonous. So I thought that was relevant to, to what y'all was talking about, and maybe somebody needs to look at that. Yeah, absolutely. And, what you know, they're putting all this stuff out at the gas stations all the time now um, and selling them, and, it, it, you know, they don't go through the FDA-regulated process, so it's not a controlled environment that these are made. So it's really hard for, like you said, I mean, Amanita, some of those mushrooms can be very, very problematic and lead to liver failure. So, I mean, like you said, if there's not clear instructions or we don't really know what's in it, it's hard to say exactly what's in some of these products. So it is important to... Um, definitely be leery of buying some of these products yeah well thanks mark for calling and sharing that i did not even know that that was something that was available at the gas station gosh it's so scary to think about that none of this stuff is regulated and i know um different things have been brought up for potential legislation for like um kratom and things like that so hopefully um we can figure out something to do with some of the stuff that can be readily available for our kids because our kids can actually like purchase this at a gas station i mean there's no regulations on this so well i think that we have about run out of time and i really appreciate y'all coming on and talking with us today do y'all have any last comments before we go or throw out that number one more time for everybody phone number is 1-800-222-1222 it's always free it's always confidential so give us a call if you have any questions and we can possibly save you a trip to the er yes and um like you said you can go on your website and you can get some of those little magnets that you can put on the refrigerator which is so important if you're going to be keeping kids um like if you have babysitters or people coming to keep your children that may not be as familiar with it um it's definitely something that you want to make sure that you do and have that readily available for you Um, This has been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. It's a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. Thank you all again from the Poison Control coming on today. Join us next week for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens and stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.